0: One of my absolute very favorite people that has ever walked planet Earth is Jerry Seinfeld. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I own all of the TV show on DVDs, I've seen him. Actually, our, my third date with my wife Molly right here, we went and saw him in Memphis and it was one of the best nights. She, that's like one of the reasons she started liking me from that trip. The first two dates were kind of a, a strikeout, but that third one to go see Seinfeld was a good thing. What I love about Seinfeld, if you don't know him, is that he's a comedian. Um, I think he's one of the best um, personally, but what I love about him is one, he's incredibly funny and he seems like he'd be a fun guy to hang out around. But I think what's one of his best qualities is that he can observe a situation that you and I are both looking at it at and see it in a completely different light than we can. He is a master social critic. Like he can see things about people and just point out the most ridiculous things that we do as human beings. And so I was watching something he was doing on YouTube the other day where he was talking about how he has accumulated so much stuff in his life and now all he wants to do is get rid of it. Not for a good cause or anything, he just wants to just to get rid of it. He has so much stuff. He's talking about his wife is constantly trying to get more stuff, but he's constantly trying to get rid of stuff. And it led him to the conclusion where he said all things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. He says your home is a garbage processing center where you buy new things, you bring them into your house, and then you slowly crapify them over time. He says this is your life. This is what it means to be human. It's the reason we have closets, cupboards, and drawers. We have these so that we don't aren't reminded every single day of the huge mistakes of the things that we've bought. And so he goes on of this bit and he just does this about so many situations in life. And I love watching that. And the reason I bring this up is that in Mark chapter 7, um, Jesus doesn't make a huge joke out of it like Seinfeld does. But I think he looks at a situation on the surface level and Jesus is uh, a group of people come to Jesus and they say, hey, there's a big problem here. But Jesus steps back from the situation, and he looks at it in the whole picture, and he says, actually, the problem that you're focused on is the wrong problem. There is a much deeper, much bigger problem, and he sees something in what's going on in their culture that is completely different than what the rest of the people were seeing, and this is in Mark chapter 7. And I'm just going to let you know in the very beginning that this text has just been really difficult for me to grasp this week to kind of wrap my mind around. So it's going to probably be a little clunky. It's going to be all over the place, but I'm going to trust that that Jesus and his words here in in Mark chapter 7 are a good word for us. So let's start in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat, Introduced here in verse one to two groups of people kind of the religious powers of the day the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or some of your Bibles may say scribes and These were very important people in Jesus's day. They were the religious influencers. They had a lot of um, Power they had they had money, but they were honorable people in their culture because their whole life was devoted to doing the right thing so that they were right before God that was kind of their focus. They were the standard setters. They were the people that when they did something, people followed from what they wore to what they ate to how they performed different rituals. Everything was in their mind to get them in good standing with God. And so that was their focus. And they loved um, God's word. And they had the Torah, the first five books of, of our Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They had these and they um, spent their whole life trying to live out how they interpreted those the law out of a devotion for God and over the hundreds of years that they've been doing this they have been um, accumulating all these rules and their interpretations have grown and grown and grown kind of farther from the root of what the original words wording was and so they built this huge thing called the tradition of the elders or this oral tradition that they've been passing down and um, washing your hands before a meal was one of those things and this was not, they were not concerned about hygiene when they approached Jesus and said, hey, dude, your disciples, they aren't washing their hands. And this is a big deal. It's like, this is, in their mind, this is a f- offensive to God because of their tradition. And the original law was something like where priests had to wash their hands before they went into the tabernacle. And through the hundreds of years, it's grown into this thing to where it is an offense before God if you're not washing your hands, is what they were thinking. And so they approached Jesus with this problem because they see themselves as representative following God, and they think Jesus is completely missing the mark. And then Jesus has a response in verse 6 and is following. It says, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus continued in verse nine. He said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition and have, that you have handed down and you do many things like that. And immediately Jesus responds to their problem with him raising up an even deeper issue at hand. And he gives them a very hard word. And it's a hard word because Jesus knows that he wants these men to kind of change what they're doing because they are completely missing it. And Jesus understood that when we treat things that should be dealt with immediately in a hard way, if we treat them softly, those things never change. So kind of one of the phrases we use at Ethos, and I've heard this in other places too, but just among our team is that hard words produce soft hearts and soft words produce hard hearts. Like this was a big deal to Jesus. So he was gonna go and just address it and say, hey, you're completely missing the mark. And how I've experienced this in my life is when I was thinking about when I was in the third grade. I grew up in North Houston um, and went to Earhart Elementary. It was about two blocks away from my house and I would walk to school every day. Loved Earhart, it was a great school. Um, one thing about it on Wednesdays, they had the, the Wednesday folder, which is a weekly progress report, which you would take home to your parents. They would read. They would sign, you know, about your conduct and things like that, and you would send it back. And this would strike terror into any third grader in North Houston because the teacher could write whatever they wanted, and your, and your parents would see it each week. And so if you're walking home and you were talking about Pokemon or talking about the Houston Rockets or whatever you did at that point in your life at third grade, if you remembered it was the Wednesday folder, fear dripped you. I remember thinking about one particular time and my routine is when I got home, I would, you know, catch up with my mom. She'd ask how my day was. We have a snack or something. And then she would immediately ask me, do you have any homework that needs to be done before tomorrow? And at this season of my life, I used to say, hey, um, no, I, I did it at school. I don't have any homework today. And she's like, all right, awesome. You know, go out and play. And remember one day I brought home my folder. I didn't look at it, handed it to my mom, ate my snack, went outside. I remember coming back in later that night um, before dinner, and I remember my dad greeting me at the door and saying, hey, Josh, you have anything you want to talk to us about? It's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And uh, he said, well, have you read your Wednesday folder? And I said, no I haven't and I remember he got out the blue folder he opened it up and I can still see the box in red ink where Miss Tyler wrote Josh has failed to complete 17 consecutive homework assignments (laughs) it's like oh yeah about that and they're like I thought you'd been telling us that you had been doing your homework and I remember confessing to them that I had been lying and my dad was upset and he wasn't about upset about the homework he was upset that I was just being dishonest He was frustrated. I remember that speech that he gave talking about Willis men don't act this way and like men of God do something different. I'm just being like, as a third grader, however many years that was ago, remember that was a hard word to me at that time. But it changed how I viewed what I said I was gonna do and what I was doing. It was a word to change my situation and thinking about that. Here is that Jesus is speaking a hard word to these men because he knows this is something that has got to change because he's saying you are misrepresenting God and people are following you. He said it's something that has got to change. And ironically, Jesus in verse 6 goes back all the way to their, one of their ancestors that they would have known a whole lot about, Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet to um, their ancestors hundreds of years ago when they were a, a robust nation. They were doing great things. They had a, a huge city. They had a, a military, and they thought they were, they were doing it right. They, were, they went to the temple. They did the sacrifices they thought they were supposed to do. But God sent Isaiah with a message to say, hey, there's, there's a bigger, badder dog on the street. Assyria is gonna come by and they're gonna conquer you because you've been unfaithful. And the people are wondering, how are we being unfaithful? We're doing the right things, we're wearing the right clothes, we're doing the right sacrifices, we're going through the rituals. And through Isaiah, God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus goes all the way back to their ancestors to tell them, hey, you are missing the boat. Like in verse eight, when he says, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. And Jesus is saying, your traditions have become your God and you are completely missing what I'm I'm after. And it's a hard word. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on in verse nine through 13, where he brings up this whole deal of honoring your father and mother. One of the basic 10 rules that these men would have been professionals in knowing and being able to say, this is how you live it out. But they had so twisted what God originally said with this idea of Corban or korban, where it talks about in verse 11, where Jesus says, hey, this is one example of how you're missing the mark here. You've been told, honor your father and mother. So the people who raised you, when they're older, take care of them. They're gonna, there's gonna come to a point where they can't fix up their house, that they need help um, with their food and different things like that. And it's like, it's your job as their children to honor them, to, to do the work. And they had created this elaborate system where they could still look good in public and completely miss out on this responsibility. So they had a, a sum of money and they would say that this is Corban. So they would declare that to other people. And what that would mean is that would mean it was devoted to God. And they would say, since it's devoted to God, I can't use it for anything else. So they would say, I can't use it to go feed my parents or I can't use it to pay for where they need to live or anything like that. Just like, hey, I've devoted it to God. And so it was a cop-out. It wasn't anything about honoring God, it was so that they could use their money for other things and they were completely missing what was going on. And Jesus in verse 13 ends it with saying, and you do many things like this. It's like this is one small example of how you were completely missing the boat or missing the mark here. And it's an incredibly hard word. And we find out that Jesus isn't done as he now turns to the crowd to apply to them what he's been teaching. In verse 14 through 23, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, and deceit. Lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so Jesus, in full view of the Pharisees, turns to the crowd, and he says, listen to me. Like, you need to get this. this is, and he makes a point out of the, what's going on in this conflict with the Pharisees. He's saying, don't miss out on this. This is a huge deal to God, because these people are completely misrepresenting who God is. And so he starts to unpack that, and he starts talking about the, the inside is what is more important as opposed to the outside, which is ironic because the religious leaders are cared all about the outside. With this rule that they were just dealing with the korban and how they looked and all that stuff, is they really wanted to be known as people that were godly people. They weren't actually living as godly people, but they wanted to be known that way. From the way they dressed, to the way they acted, to every single thing about this. They were working so hard to produce what was on the outside that they were completely missing what was going on in the inside. And this just struck me this week because I feel this so much. I work so hard to present what's on the outside. It's like, and our culture does this. We are an outside culture way more than we are an inside culture talking about ourselves. It's like one of the reasons we love social media is we can share the things that we're eating, the jokes that we're telling, where we're vacationing, who we're hanging out with. Like we love for people to know that. I think we also see this in our convictions Rarely do people have any private convictions anymore. Now we want people to know like, when I'm a vegetarian, I'm gonna let the world know that I'm a vegetarian. Or when I have this view about this policy, I'm gonna to try to convince every single person about this. There's very few things that we just take for our own and just kind of quietly do them. We want everybody to know about it. And this is something that we deal with. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey, the outside is not nearly as significant of what is going on in your heart, because he says in verse 15, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. It is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And Jesus continues on in verse 17. He's left the crowds now and his disciples are with him. They still don't understand what he's, come, what he's talking about, so they come to him in private when they've entered a the home. They're like, hey, can you explain what you're telling us? And just before we even get to that, just a side note, I think it's really interesting that the disciples have been following Jesus for years now and they still don't have all the answers. I think we see this picture throughout the gospels is that people who don't have all the answers still don't know what's going on, they're still walking with Jesus. And I love that he continues to unpack those things in private conversations with them. And I was thinking about when following Jesus, you won't always have all the answers, but you will always be invited on the journey to walk with him and to figure it out alongside of him. And Jesus responds in what looks like a harsh statement when he says, are you so dull? which is kind of like, a, it's, I think it's kind of a poor translation. He's really asking them, do you still not get it? Because I really want you to get this. And he, he explains, and in verse 18 and 19, he uses this food analogy that would have made a huge deal to their culture. And it's kind of, we're going to skip down to verse 20. And this is, if, some, if this is something you want to learn more about, there's a great resource by Tim Keller um, called The King's Cross. It's an awesome book, Walking This, that would go into this detail in, in great ways. But it's just kind of something that, We could unpack, I think it would take us down a different path, but let's continue on in verse 20 here where Jesus starts to expose a common myth that is still around today. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Where I think the myth that I believe today and so many of us believe today is that the problem does not start with me. Where Jesus directly goes into the problem, he says, if you wanna know what the issue is here, it's not about washing hands. It's not about all this production. He says, the problem is in your heart. And if you're anything like me, when somebody tells me the problem is me, I immediately get defensive. I was just thinking, even yesterday, I was cleaning out my garage and I had this huge sheet of plywood in the back of our garage. And Molly very innocently asks me, just, just genuinely curious, asks, hey, what are you gonna do with that plywood? Do you have any plans for it? And I go in full on defense mode and I get offended and I'm like, I just, you know, just wanna have it here because I might use it for something. And she's like, hey, I'm just asking. I felt like I was being accused. And I get that way so often when somebody says, hey, the problem is actually you. And I think that I get this way because I hate this because I don't wanna be blamed. I think we hate getting blamed for things. I think this is the reason in college when I didn't finish all my reading assignments, um, I would blame it on my schedule or other things that I have going on. When in reality, I had the time to do it. It was just way more easy to com- complain and say about all the other things and push the blame somewhere else. It's the same when we see public figures like politicians or actors or athletes when they have made a huge mistake. Most often their PR firm does not um, craft a statement that says, hey, I really screwed it up. Give me some grace. Most of the time they say, hey, I kind of, you know, I muddied the water a little bit and there's all these other organizations and causes that you should blame. It's never, people rarely want to take the blame for anything that they're doing But Jesus is saying this, the source of the problem is within you. It is your heart. And then Jesus begins to list out several things that our heart produce. Some are pretty obvious about theft and murder, but he's saying these things will ruin you. Like all of them, if you are misusing sex, it will ruin you. If you are misusing your possessions or if you are jealous of other people's possessions, it will defile you. And he starts saying, and the problem is within you. And it's this thing where he is, where Jesus, I think sometimes we say, it's all about the heart. So if we have good intentions, it's all right. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but your heart is jacked up. Like it produces some pretty, ugly, nasty things. And it's crazy because Jesus just kind of drops it here in verse 23, he says, out of your heart, this is what happens. And if you finish the story here, this is incredibly depressing. Where Jesus comes up and just diagnoses a huge problem and it looks like he just says, peace. But if you know the rest of the story, if you continue reading the book of Mark, if you spend any time in scripture, you know that God is about solving problems. And this big problem is all throughout scripture. Since Genesis 3, God has been dealing with wicked, broken, evil-producing hearts. And his answer is in the cross. Because the cross screams that Jesus, God, gave up his perfect heart in exchange for our wicked hearts so that we can experience his blessing. And that is what's going on in I get this from um, Ezekiel chapter 36. If you were with us, um, I believe this fall or this spring when we were doing the Holy Spirit series, it's one of our primary texts that we talk about where God is dealing with his people who have a broken heart, who want help. And God's response in Ezekiel 36 is this. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanliness. Where God offers His, his a new heart to His followers, and the immediate question is, how do we receive this heart from God? Like what does that what does that transaction look like? I understand it's in the cross, and, and Paul would say in Romans chapter three. He says, this righteousness from God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Jesus. He says, you've got a huge problem. Your hearts are wicked, but there's a good problem. The the solution to this problem is that God is offering you a new heart through faith in Jesus. Let's kind of bring this back full circle just thinking about what this means today, and Jesus applied this through a food analogy to them in their culture. But what does that mean for us? I I think we look at the wickedness and the fallenness of our world, and we think we love to place the blame on things, and we just say maybe the the problems in our world produced by bad governments, or economic fallout, or the breakdown of ethics and morals in our culture, where Jesus stands up and says the root of all the problems that are going on are the hearts of men. It's like the hearts of us people. He said, just look at what we produce. Produce wars, we produce racism, rape, um, destroying all of creation, hate, genocide, and just terrible things that the human heart has produced over time and are still going on. We, as a people, need new hearts. It's like the blame can't be placed on anything else. It starts with the individual and what is going on inside of us. And Jesus offers us a new heart. And he's the only, Jesus is the only one who, is, who sees the problem and gives up his perfect heart in exchange for our wicked hearts. It's a crazy thing. He says the only requirement to receive a new heart is asking Jesus to do it, realizing that you cannot do it on your own. I love that. I don't know what the Pharisees were thinking here. Um, I don't know if they accepted Jesus' message or not, but they probably thought, well, man, now I've gotta work harder to, re- to clean up my heart. Or Jesus is saying the opposite of that. He says you have to submit your heart to me in order to wash it. And so as we, in a minute, we're gonna take communion um, all throughout the tables in the room and thinking about this, if we've just been told that the problem is within our hearts, that Jesus can take care of it, but what you can tell what is going on in the heart from what is producing. And thinking about that, I just want us to be honest with each other as we surround ourselves in communion, just ask yourself the question, what is your heart producing? It's like, there is grace to be, fully free and sharing whatever's going on in your life. Like that is what this is for. That's what we do as church, is that we are people here in need of a new heart, people who need Jesus. And so I just encourage you to use this time just to share what is your heart producing, because Jesus says it's not what's around it, but what is coming out of it right now is is what's important. So if you're a Christian, I just wanna encourage you just to remember that when you take the bread and you take the cup, it is only by Jesus that we are here. Like it is only by Jesus that we have hope that we can overcome the brokenness in our lives, that he can overcome all of it. So just remind yourself that it is by Jesus that we are here. That's why we take the cup and the bread this week. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and if this is all confusing, just come talk to us at the respond banner. Come talk to one of your friends that you came with, or if you wanna grab coffee with somebody on our ministry team, we have cards each week that you can fill out and drop off in any of our boxes. We would love to talk to you about what this exchange looks like what it looks like to get a new heart, what's required and all those things. The gospel of Jesus is, is what changes our hearts. So as we take communion in just a minute, I just want you to ask the question and share, what is my heart producing? And let's, let's soak that in grace and continue to, to encourage each other and walk through that. And if you bring up some stuff you need to deal with, there are people in this room that would love to walk with you through that. You are not alone in any of your struggles and any of the wickedness that your heart is producing. Jesus alone can conquer it fully. So let's pray.